This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. Lessons like the one today are meant to apply for all of us, even though you may be a Christian. We run into people that sometimes uh, are putting off obeying the gospel. They're not accepting the invitation of Christ, and it could be for various reasons. Sometimes we just need to talk to them and encourage them a little bit, and we need to know what, uh, what reason that uh, they might be entertaining for not obeying, and be able to assist them over that difficulty in their life to where they can become a Christian. And so there should be something beneficial for all of us here today is my point. I'll introduce our thoughts now from Matthew 11 there on the front underneath the title. <clears throat> Matthew 11 verse 28 to 30. Bear with me. I have a horrible allergy right now. Bad drainage and it's choking me up. And so I'll do the best I can this morning. And if I can't continue on, well, I'll holler at Ben and he can come up and take over. In Matthew 11 verse 28. Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. All of us are familiar with invitations. We get them to various things, don't we? Graduations, anniversary parties and celebrations, weddings, uh, birthdays. Uh, graduations, all kinds of invitations are extended to you and I. You ladies attend a lot of showers, baby showers and wedding showers and different things like this. And so we're used to invitations. And Jesus, when He was on earth, gave a lot of invitations to people to come to Him. These are the most, most wonderful invitations we can ever get. Far exceeding anything that we can think of to invite people to in our world. Because these are invitations to come to Christ and obtain everlasting life. And I want you to think about that. Jesus invites the, the world to come to Him and live forever, never die. To have a life that never ends. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that a great invitation? Somebody might invite you to a football game and say, Hey, I've got tickets. I've got really good seats. And you might consider that to be a great invitation, but this is a chance to live forever. What's that worth? How valuable is that invitation? And yet it's a lamentable truth that when people were given that invitation, for the most part, they didn't accept it. And this grieved the Lord because He wants to give this to people. We read there in, uh, in the Scriptures in, in Matthew 23 and verse 37, Jesus said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. He said, I wanted to gather you, and you wouldn't do it. John 5 and 40, Christ said, And ye will not come unto me, that you might have life. Isn't that sad? They would not come to Christ, that they might live. And we look back at those characters in the Bible that must have heard him preach and, and all the, the thousands of people that rejected his invitations. 
And we think what in the world was wrong with those folks. This is still going on today, people. People are still rejecting Christ. Just about five verses from the end of the New Testament. Think of that. Almost the last verse of the New Testament. Jesus had John give us the final invitation to man. Revelation 22 and verse 17. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. There's that great invitation. Come and take the water of life freely. And time and again, people sit and hear the gospel preached. Hear the word taught. And when an invitation's given for them to come to Christ, they reject that invitation time and again. They walk away. They resist. And they will not come to Jesus. Why? Why do folks do that today? I want to talk to you about that this morning. The invitation and why some people will not come to Christ. First of all, there, there may be some people who really don't know what an invitation is. Now, you and I do. We're used to invitations because it's, it's just a part of our service. When we have a, an assembly like this, we're going to set aside a, a time there in which we offer an opportunity for people to come to Jesus Christ. And so we're used to invitations. But there are religious groups that meet they don't, they don't know what an invitation is because they don't offer one. And I have been in assemblies of churches of Christ that did not have an invitation. They didn't sing an invitation song. They didn't, they didn't offer an invitation to anyone in that service. And I suppose that they can take that option if they want to. But uh, we choose to have an invitation in this congregation because our Lord invites people to come and we give them that opportunity to obey Jesus. What is an invitation? An invitation is just an expedient time to come. It's, a, it's, it's something that we do in the assembly there to give people an opportunity to obey Christ. It's an opportunity for folks to come and request prayer. Sometimes, you know, it's not just sin that bothers us. We've just got burdens. We've got problems in our life. Problems in dealing with other people. Difficulties of all kinds. And some people really want prayer. And they really want to express that. And they really want to ask for it. And that invitation is an opportunity for anyone to come that, that wants prayer for some reason. It's an opportunity to confess sin. James 5 and verse 16 says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So we give people an opportunity to confess sin and to have someone pray in their behalf and lead the congregation in that prayer. We have an example in Acts 8 where Simon the sorcerer, if you'll remember, requested Peter and John to pray for him. He said, Pray ye to the Lord for me that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. That's Acts 8 verse 24. And so there are such requests even in the Bible. Maybe not in a common assembly like this. But times when people requested prayer of others. And we have that opportunity. It's a time to obey the Lord in baptism. If someone has that 
desire to obey. You know, Peter on the day of Pentecost, when he gave that great sermon, the first gospel sermon ever preached after the resurrection of Christ, the Bible tells us in Acts 2 and 40 that with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. So Peter exhorted that great multitude of thousands. The Bible says in Acts 2.41, Then they that gladly received His word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So Peter then exhorted people to come. He invited them on behalf of Christ. And those that gladly received His word came and they were baptized. We give people an opportunity to do that in the assembly. What happens if you come forward in an assembly like this? Let me tell you this morning, nothing unkind will ever be said or done to you. Nothing embarrassing. You'll simply come and have a seat on the front. Someone will sit down beside you, either myself or David or Ben or someone. And we will ask you, how may we help you? And you'll begin to relate any problems or burdens or the fact that there's sin in your life that you'd like to have prayer about or you might even request baptism. And we'll simply take whatever your request is and if you, if you need prayer, we'll appoint someone in the assembly to lead us all in prayer and we'll pray fervently to God for you. And if you're here and you need to be baptized, we'll ask you, to stand and make the confession, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, as we read there in Acts 8 in verse 37. And upon that confession, we will arrange to take you as soon as quickly as possible and baptize you for the remission of your sins. But there'll never be anything unkind or embarrassing done toward you. We desire you very much to come to the Lord, and so does the Lord. And that's really what the invitation is. It's just an expedient time that we set aside in the assembly to assist those that need Christ. Secondly, there are some that, that don't accept the invitation of Christ because maybe they think they don't know enough. Now, I don't want to minimize the importance of knowledge. We need to know what we're doing in religion. We need to be taught. And uh, so it takes a certain amount of knowledge. There are things that we've got to know. In Matthew 28 and verse 19 and 20, Jesus told the disciples, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. So Christ knew that folks needed to be taught. Go teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Jesus said, you go teach people. Go teach. Then you baptize those that you've taught. And then he said, you teach them again. This time you teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. You see, we don't have to know a whole lot to become a Christian. These things can be taught later on. Many, many things that we'll need. We don't have to know about instrumental music to become a Christian. We can learn that later. We can study that issue. We can deal with the Lord's Supper later. We don't have to have the knowledge of the Lord's Supper to become a Christian. 
We don't have to know about Revelation or the book of Daniel and such deeper studies as those things or the book of Ezekiel. Those can be studied later. We don't need to know about miraculous gifts and what that doctrine's all about and the fact that we don't have such things in this day and age. There's so many other doctrines that we can learn later on and we're to be taught to observe all these other things. We can be taught about morality later on, moral issues. We can be taught about abortion or homosexuality or such things. All of these things can be taught later. But none of them have to be taught or known before we can become a Christian. What does a person need to know? Well, you know, we don't have to know a whole lot. In Acts chapter 16, we read of the conversion of the, of the jailer there at Philippi. He's a very interesting study. We've studied him several times. You'll remember Paul and Silas have been beaten. Many stripes have been laid upon them. They've been brought over to the jailer and charged him to keep them safely. And he thrust them into an inner prison, we're told, and made their feet fast in stocks. So they're sitting in an inner dungeon of that prison. Their backs are just torn up from the whips. They are hurting. They are bleeding. And yet it's a midnight hour, the Bible says, and at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. And that tells us that happiness is not found in outward circumstances, but in inward, in inward condition of the heart in our relationship with the Lord. These men were able to pray and sing praises to the Lord in a midnight hour in a prison with their backs torn open and bleeding. Because they had something in here. And the joy came from within, and it wasn't related to their outward condition. In other words, we can have it really bad in life and still have great joy in serving the Lord, and that's what these men had. And all the prisoners heard them singing, and they were praying, and of course God heard their prayer too because He shook that prison with an earthquake, and the cell doors flew open, and the shackles dropped off all the prisoners. And everybody could have fled out of that prison, but didn't. The jailer was awakened by all the commotion. And he saw the prison doors open. And he thought that all of his prisoners had escaped. And uh, he was about to kill himself when Paul stopped him. Paul cried with a loud voice, Do thyself no harm, for we're all here. Now verse 29. The Bible says of this jailer, Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now here's a man in a midnight hour that's wanting to know how to be saved. That's his question here at midnight. And they tell him, first of all, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they weren't telling him that you can be saved by faith only. They were telling him, you've got to believe on Jesus. The problem is, he can't believe on Christ. He's never heard of Christ. So in verse 32, they spake unto him the word of the Lord. Why? Because in Romans 10, 17, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The man's been commanded to believe, but he can't believe till he hears. They spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. 
and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. What does that tell you? Tells you he repented. He didn't wash their stripes when they were first turned over to him. He just thrust them into the inner prison. He didn't care about their wounds. Now he does. So there's been a change come over this man. He took them the same hour of the night. Remember, it's midnight, so by 1 o'clock, he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized. He and all his straightway. Within one hour, this man was on his way to obey his Lord in baptism. Wonder how much he knew. You think he knew about the supper? About the instrument? About miraculous gifts? You think he knew about premillennialism, those kind of doctrines, even if they were in the world in that day and age? You see, everything like these doctrines could be taught later on. But he knew enough to be saved, and he was. And if we were re reading on there at verse 34, I don't have it listed. The Bible says that when he brought them into his house, he set meat before them, or food before them, and rejoiced believing in God with all of his house. Now he's happy. An hour earlier he was about to kill himself. Now he's got two, two men in his house feeding them, and they have been prisoners. And now they're brethren in Christ. And he's rejoiced and is rejoicing, and he's believing in God now with all of his house. In one hour, this man became a Christian. And here's my point to you. You don't have to know a whole lot. This man could not have known very much. They spake unto him the word of the Lord. And that word of the Lord would simply be the word about the Lord. It would be the word like Peter preached on the day of Pentecost where you preach the miracles, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, His ascension, His coronation, His Lord, his position at the right hand of God as Lord and Christ. You preach the cross. You preach His death, burial, and resurrection. And if you're wondering this morning, what all do I need to know to be saved? Number one, you need to know you've sinned. You need to be aware of what sin is. Have you sinned? Have you committed sin? And what's the penalty for sin? It's everlasting punishment. It's a lake of fire for eternity is what it is. And you need to understand, if I'm in sin today, I'm in danger. I'm going to suffer for all eternity. It's never going to end. I need help. We've got to come to that conclusion. You've got to have faith in Jesus Christ. You've got to know something about the Lord. Why He is the Christ. Why He is the Son of God. And the Bible's full of evidence to convince you. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John each give a record of the Lord's life and provide great evidence about who He is. You need to believe the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection, and have great faith and confidence that those things happened. That Jesus did die for sins and He did rise the third day according to the Scriptures. You must repent. That means you need to change your mind. Turn from what's wrong to what's right. Repentance is a deep resolve in the heart to turn from a life that's wrong to a life that's right. And it's done when you make up your mind 
to turn away from evil and turn to God. You need to know about baptism, a little bit about it, its purpose, what it's all about, and what the result of obeying that act can bring to you. All of these other things, you see, you can be taught later on. But there's some things like this jailer would have been taught that you need to know in order to be saved. But you don't have to know a whole lot. And so many people have the mistaken, mistaken idea that I've got to know a lot of things before I can become a Christian. And that's just not true. Today is the day of salvation. And if we couldn't be saved today, then today's not the day of salvation. But so many records in the Bible of people that were, were saved just nearly immediately as soon as they heard the word. 3,000 on the day of Pentecost baptized that day. The Ethiopian eunuch stopping the chariot right there and obeying the gospel out there in a barren wilderness. Just instantly. Same hour of the night, this jailer. People just obeyed when they were sufficiently taught and that don't take much. Number three, some don't come to Christ because of pride. They're concerned about what others think. They're, they're, they're thinking to themselves, I can't go up in front of people in that assembly and admit that I've been wrong. I don't want to admit that I've been wrong. You know, none of us like to admit we've been wrong. But the problem is every one of us have. That's why we need Christ. If we'd never, if we'd never done anything wrong, we don't need Jesus. Everybody here is a sinner. And everybody here has done things wrong. And everybody here has got to admit that they've done wrong. And they're just some people with too much pride. And God hates pride. If you'll read with me there from Proverbs 8 and verse 13. The Bible says that pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. God hates pride. Because he can't do anything for a, for a proud person. You see, the Lord doesn't help victims of circumstance. He helps sinners. If we think we're just an unlucky victim of circumstances in life, Christ can't help us. But if we are bankrupt in heart, if we're poor in spirit, if we can, can admit that we've got problems in our life and that we need help, Christ can do everything for us. Jesus said in Matthew 5 and verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God saves sinners. He doesn't save victims of circumstances, those that make excuse. He cannot save a proud person. And if we can't admit that we're wrong, we'll never be saved. So don't worry about coming up in front of us and and people thinking that you've been wrong. Everybody here knows you're wrong anyway. Why? Because we've all been wrong. We're just all sinners. We understand that. Every, every person in this human race has sinned. Number four. There are some people that don't want to respond. The invitation's given and they don't want it. And one reason is they love sin. They love the pleasure of sin. You know, sin's fun. Now, don't get upset at that statement. If sin wasn't fun, people wouldn't do it. There are people that go to bars and they have a blast. 
They think that's a lot of fun. They're having fun. You know, we don't do things that we don't enjoy, generally. People enjoy sin. It has pleasure to it. How do I know that? The Bible says it does. The problem is it just doesn't last very long, and then you've got to pay for it. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 to 26, the Bible says, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God, listen, than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. You see, there's pleasure in sin, the Bible says there, but it's just for a season. So Moses looked everything over. He's been raised in the palace. He was adopted early in life by Pharaoh's daughter. Taken there out of that little basket down on the river when she came to bathe. Taken away. Fortunately, his mother, his mother came and she was his nurse. She nursed her own baby, fortunately, there at the palace. Because Moses' older sister, Miriam, was watching. And when Pharaoh's daughter took baby Moses, she asked her if she needed a nurse for the baby. And needing one, of course, she went and got Moses' mother. And Moses' mother would have taught him probably a whole lot about the God of Israel and about his people, about their, their destiny, about the promises made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob of the land of Canaan and such things. Moses would have been instructed in all of that as a child. Yet here also he was raised in all the skill and wisdom of Egypt, highly educated, he may have been in line for the throne or at least a very high position in government because after all he belongs to Pharaoh's daughter. And maybe the throne of Egypt was waiting on him. He could have had wine, women, and song, anything that Egypt could have provided, anything to satisfy his flesh was available to Moses. You see, he could have had a lot of pleasure compared to other people. Then he looked at this task that God had for him of leading God's people out of bondage. And that involved leading maybe millions of people through a barren wilderness. Lots of hardship and suffering and affliction. But he looked at the end result and the end result was life everlasting. And Moses was pretty wise. You see, he weighed all that. What do I choose here? And the Bible says that he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. That he esteemed the reproach of Christ to be greater riches than the treasures over in Egypt. Because he had respect under the recompense or the reward. He, he looked at the value of the reward that he would be given one day and said, you know what, if I serve the Lord, I've got greater reward out of this, and it lasts forever. And as we look at Moses' decision today, who would say he made the wrong choice? Not a one of us. And look at the hardship that man endured. You think Moses today thinks it's worth it? He thinks it's worth every effort that he made 
to lead those people and to suffer with their stiff-necked and rebellion spirit. Everything he suffered has been worth it. Because now this man's at rest among the people of God with the reward being offered when Jesus comes of living forever. Yeah, he made the right choice. Sin's got pleasure. And some people don't want to become a Christian. They don't want to accept the invitation because they don't want to give that up. The problem is that we've got to pay for it one day. Sin's got to be punished. It's got a penalty. And the wages is death. In Galatians 6, verse 7 and 8, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth unto his spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. And the Bible says, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. We reap what we sow. And if we sow to this flesh and satisfy the flesh, then one day we've got to pay the bill. And we can't afford to pay it. Don't think that there's more pleasure in a life of sin than there is in a life of service to the Lord. They're not even comparable. Number five, some people are afraid to respond and maybe for different reasons. There's all kinds of fears. Some people have a fear of coming up before a crowd like this. But you see, you've got a greater problem if you don't come before a crowd like this. You're going to stand in, in a crowd that you can't even number that's going to be standing before the judgment seat of Christ. And you're going to come before that crowd and you're going to give an account right there. And your life's going to be unraveled. And everything unknown about you will be known. And everything you've said, thought, or done that day will come out. That's just going to happen. And you don't need to worry about a piddly crowd this size. You need to worry about that crowd and about your soul when you stand before Jesus. Some people fear what others may think. They're concerned what others might say if they become a Christian. You know, that was how the chief rulers were in, Matthew, in John 12, if you'll read, verse 42, 43. Nevertheless, also among the chief rulers, also many believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they be put out of the synagogues. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. So here's these, here's these chief rulers. Now, they've got a good position in the synagogues. And the Pharisees have already declared anybody that believes in Christ is out of here. They're out of these synagogues. They're not going to have any part with us. And these fellows believe in Jesus, these chief rulers do. They can see this man's the Son of God. This is the Messiah. They believe on Him. But they won't confess Him because of the Pharisees. Because they love the praise of those men more than the praise of God. 
They'd rather be praised by the Pharisees. Who are the Pharisees, folks? They are a group of religious hypocrites. That's who they are. And these chief rulers are more worried about what hypocrites think than what the Lord thinks. And so they won't confess Christ. Some people have a fear that they can't live the life. Well, I'd like to be a Christian, but I don't know if I can hold out. I can't live this life. It's just too demanding. And I'm going to tell you this. No, you can't live it on your own. Jesus said you couldn't. In John 15 and 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So you can't live this life without Christ, but you see, Christ will help you. In 1 Corinthians 10 and 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Hebrews 13 and verse 5 and 6. Let your conversation, that is your manner of life, be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper and I will not fear what men shall do unto me. Christ says, I'll help you. No, you can't live the life Without help from the Lord, you just can't do it. No one can. And if you're worried that you can't live a Christian life, let me tell you some simple things that are involved in being a Christian. And these are just basics. You know, some things are just basics. You take a football game, for example, it's just basics. And if you want to know who's going to win, watch who can block and who can tackle and who can kick and such things as that. Watch who wins the line of scrimmage. Just basic fundamentals. And that's usually the person, the team, that will win the game. Christianity's fundamentals. Want to be successful? Come to church. Attend the services of the church when it meets. Don't fail. Study your Bible. God talks to us through the Word. He wants to talk to you. He wants to instruct you. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. There's comfort in the Scriptures. The Bible says to comfort one another with these words. We read that uh, whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. So they give us comfort. They give us peace. They impart faith. They keep us strong. And God wants to put that into your life through study of His Word. And then He wants you to talk to Him. He wants you to pray. To pray without ceasing. To pray often. To talk to Him. Through the Bible, He'll talk to you. And through prayer, you talk to Him. And there's an exchange between you and there's fellowship with Him. Make sure your associations are with other Christians. Watch the company you keep. Don't get out here and run with people that are doing wrong. 
Just don't be around folks like this if they're going to drag you down. If you can be around them and influence them your direction, well and good, but sometimes there are just associations we need to get away from. Find Christian friends and be with them and have fellowship there. Just basic things. Go to church and study and pray. Watch who you associate with and such things as this. Number six, some people refuse the invitation because they're procrastinating. They're putting it off. They, they plan to respond someday, just not now. And so they try, to, they try to send their life away in their youth and then come down toward the end of it and, and beat the devil around the bush, so to speak, and give God the scraps of their life. There are a lot of people that have that kind of plan. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a good time for a while and then eventually I'm going to settle down later in life. And I'll get serious about my life. But you see, the problem is with that, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. In Proverbs 27 and 1, the Bible says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. We don't know if we're going to be alive tomorrow. We don't know what we're going to do. Don't send your life away and then hand God the scraps. I've seen that so many times where people wait till just almost the moment of death and then they try to get right with God and maybe they do. But what they've done is just live a life of sin and then come down to the end and say, all right, I need mercy now and I'll give you these few days that I've got left of life. And they just give God the scraps. And he's worth more than that, isn't he? Number seven, some do not accept this invitation because they don't think they're old enough. And the Bible, you see, doesn't give us the age. It doesn't give us an age of accountability. There's just at some point in our life that we become accountable to God. I don't know what the age is, folks. Paul talked about it happening to him in Romans 7 and verse 9. He doesn't tell us how old he was. But he said, I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. So Paul said at one point, I was alive to God. And then the commandment came. I understood the law. And sin revived and I died. Now you can't die unless you're alive. So at one point Paul was alive to God. But at another point in his life he died. And he's living physically as he writes this. I don't know what age is the accountable age. I've seen parents be approached by their children. The children want to become Christians and the parents say, no, no, you need to wait a little while. I'm not sure you're old enough and sometimes that may be the case. But I've also seen kids later on never obey because they, their hearts were soft there at one time but they hardened them later on and they never do become a Christian. So it's, it's really a difficult decision. If you're young, 
Here's some guidelines for you to think about. If you're a young person here today and you're thinking about this, number one, I would ask you this. Do you know what sin is? Have you committed it? Do you know what it is? Have you committed sin? And do you, do you feel under conviction that if you were to die right now, if Jesus came, you'd be lost? Would you? Would you be lost? Do you understand the gospel? Do you understand the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ? Why that had to be? Why he came to die for you? Why he had to? Why it takes blood to remit your sins? Do you understand why Jesus rose from the dead and, and just what hope that brings to you? Do you believe those things and understand them? Do you know why you need to believe or to repent or to confess Christ or to be baptized? Do you understand those principles? And if you were baptized, young person, would you go to church? Would you attend? Would you pray? You know, your parents might drag you to church, but would you pray? And if you were a Christian, would you study? Would you get serious about the Bible and getting a knowledge of it? Would you do that? Would you live for Jesus Christ? Do you really want to live for the Lord? Now see, those are things you can think about as a young person. And how you answer that will determine whether or not you're old enough. And I can't answer those questions for you. You're going to have to consider things like this. Do you want to serve Jesus? Is it just a burning desire in your heart? Finally, number eight. There are some people that cannot respond. When the invitation's given, they just can't accept it. Why? Well, sometimes they have believed lies to where their mind is just so, just so perverted just so messed up by believing lies that they can't see the truth. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 10 to 12. Paul talked about believing religious lies, and there's a lot of religious lies today. He said, With all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Now notice, they didn't, doesn't say they didn't receive the truth, folks. It says they didn't receive the love of the truth. There are people that do not love the truth. They don't love it. It's not important to them. They've heard it. They've read the Bible themselves. They've read the Bible through, some of them, several times. But they've never seen the truth. They don't love it. With all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved, and for this cause, because they don't love the truth, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they might all be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Strong delusion. The American Standard renders that verse a working of error. And I don't believe that God directly sends us a working of error. 
Here's what I believe Paul's telling us. That people who do not love the truth will be worked upon by error to the extent that they will believe a lie and the result is they'll be condemned. And there are people that just don't love the truth. And you can preach a beautiful gospel sermon to them showing them ample evidence that the plan of salvation is this and this and this and this and they just can't see it because they believe lies. There are some people who cannot come because they've said no too many times. They have hardened their heart. They can't repent. See, we can get to the point that we can't repent because we say no too much. And you can just get to the point that you can't stop sinning. In Hebrews 6, verse 4 to 6, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance. Note that word again. It's impossible to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they have crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to an open shame. There are some people that can't quit the sin business. Peter spoke of those in 2 Peter. Verses, verse, chapter 2, verse 14. That cannot cease from sin, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin. There are some people that can't quit sinning. They've hardened their heart. And that's the danger of continually refusing the invitation because with each refusal it gets easier and easier and easier. I've been in gospel meetings and I've had people step out in the aisle just on the way to come forward. They just look at me longing to come down that aisle. And I've had them just stand there for what seemed like minutes, although it wasn't, and then just step back into their seat. And then later on you learn of their death. They died that way because they had hardened their heart. I had a fellow do that one time in this area up at Newholm. Stepped right out in the aisle but could not come down the aisle. And he died never having obeyed the gospel. The old man had hardened his heart too many times. That's the danger. I was out in New Mexico working years ago and talked to a man that had been faithful in the church. He'd been a teacher, in fact. And now he was out in the world. And I went to see him, trying to get him to come back to the Lord. And he said, Pat, you just need to leave me alone. He said, I'm going to hell. I've, I've already resigned the fact that I'm going to hell. And I'm just trouble anyway, and you wouldn't want me over there. And basically he said, just leave me alone. He had hardened his heart where he just wouldn't come. He'd said no too many times. These are just some reasons why people reject the invitation of Christ. I'm sure there are many, many others.
But I hope that this study today would, would help us all if you're dealing with people that need to overcome some of these obstacles. Maybe this will help you. Persuade them to come to the Lord and obey. If you're here in the assembly today and you need to obey Jesus, you need to come today. You know you do. Would you just step out in the aisle today and come forward and give your life to Christ? You're going to have to do that one day. Would you come as we stand and offer this invitation? We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.